Oh, welcome back, everybody. Hello. It's Monday. And for the last time in 2020, we are recapping a UFC fight night. Dominic Lee, the start of a brand new week. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. It's, it's a bit of a somber note. As of today, we are 27 days out from our next UFC card. So um, I'm a little sad, but that's all right. You know, home for the holidays, see the family for a little bit. Still had some great fights this past Saturday night. All is well, I guess. Hey, tis the season. Yes, tis the season. <laughs> so uh, last night we got to watch a really good card, I thought, and it was a good way to kind of cap off 2020, but I'll just break down the results of the fights that we broke down on Friday. So the kind of the, the awkward part here is one of our fights we broke down did not end up being on the main card. Are we even surprised at this point? <laughs> No, they just shook it up at the end, decided to only give us five on that main card. That one did hurt on, a little. It was all on ESPN Plus, so, I mean, does it really matter at the end of the day? True, true. But we start with, we had Taylor Santos getting the unanimous decision win over Jillian Roberts in a dominant performance. 30-26 on two scorecards and a 29-28. Yeah, look good. <laughs> on one, that 29-28. It sticks out like a sore thumb, but that's okay. Believe it or um, not, it was not Chris Lee. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, to cap off our prelims, we had Anthony Pettis getting a big bounce back. By the way, the first win streak yeah. since 2014 of his career. It's crazy. Uh, but he got the unanimous decision win over Alex Morano, 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards. Uh, we opened our main card. At heavyweight, Marcin Tibura get the TKO win over Greg Hardy. Four minutes, 31 seconds into the second round. Rob Font getting the biggest win of his career. A TKO win over Marlon Marais. Three minutes, 47 seconds of round number one. Then Michelle Pereira and Chaos Williams had a wild fight. Uh, Michelle getting the unanimous decision win. And 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards. A very razor-thin close decision there. Yes, it was. Our co-main event, Jose Aldo, gets his first win at Bantamweight. Uh, he beats Marlon Vera, unanimous decision, 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards. And our main event, Steven Wonderboy Thompson, showing that there's levels to this game. And he gets the unanimous decision win over Jeff Neal, 50-45 on all three judges' scorecards. Um, but before we really break down all that happened Saturday night, or Saturday <laughs> Saturday evening. afternoon slash early evening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to start with the news. The news. Um, not too much to go over, but a couple big fight announcements here, both for uh, men's bantamweight. So this division's on fire right now. Yeah. And uh, the biggest, this is probably the bigger of the two, but coming February 6th. So coming up here pretty soon, um, I would say this is probably going to be your headliner for this uh, fight night. I would say so. Corey, Love this. Corey Sanhagen going up against Frankie Edgar. This is top five. Oh, yeah. And honestly, whoever wins this will probably be next after uh, Aljo and Jan hopefully get their title fight. I don't want to say that because, I mean, you still got guys like TJ and Cody out there that are, you know, always vying for that title shot, but – um, a huge matchup here for top five, and um, I'm curious what your thoughts are here, Dom. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, really, for Corey, it was, I get why he would accept a fight like this. This would be 
kind of that biggest name for him. He, obviously, he just had that huge main event against uh, Marlon. But in terms of like a true veteran and a legend, this is huge for a guy like Corey, who's still relatively new to a lot of people. Um, and really new to the fight game, only 15 fights. For Frankie, he's truly making a push for a title shot in his third weight class. Um, he had that battle with Munoz back in, I think, September, fight of the night. That fight was incredible. Um, really looked a lot better than what I anticipated him to come out and do. Although it was razor thin, could have went either way. Frankie looked good nonetheless. This is a great fight night, like you said, what we would assume as a headliner here. Um, I'm all for it. Nothing really against it stylistically. Very fun. Should be a stand-up war. Um, but this could be a test for Corey here because Frankie, with these younger guys, tends to put on that veteran type of performance that shows, hey, you can't mess with the old men. You know, you can't teach yeah. uh, an old dog new tricks. So this is an interesting fight. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm. What's funny, though, is I might even go the other way than what you're saying there. I feel like this fight's going to show us more about Frankie Edgar at Bantamweight than it does for yeah. um, Corey Sanhagen. I think we all know how good Sanhagen is. Really, that Aljamain Sterling fight is kind of looking like an outlier, which it is still pretty recent. But like, if you look at the rest of his resume, especially in the UFC, it's been basically like smooth sailing, spotless. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's won every fight, but he's won every fight. With relative ease, yeah, he had a split decision with John Lineker back in 2019, but still, like, the guys looked incredible, and that Sterling fight, that's why Sterling is getting the recognition yeah. he deserves, because Sterling just beat him so easily, but you saw with that Marlon Moraes fight, that spinning wheel kick to kind of finish the action, came out of nowhere, uh, just shows how dangerous he is, and for Edgar, I think I still have questions about how good is he at Bantamweight? Right. True, like, he he won the fight against Munoz, and Munoz is a top 10 guy for sure and is very good at Bantamweight. He's knocked out Cody Garbrandt, had other big wins. But I personally did not score that fight for Munoz. I did or not for either. For Edgar, excuse me. But even with that, Edgar still going all five rounds showed me more than I thought he was going to. I thought Munoz yeah. was going to put him away. That fight was crazy. Yeah, and um, so I think there's still a lot of questions for me about Edgar at Bantamweight, and I think that this is going to answer a lot of those. But at the same time, when you're going up, I mean, this is a tough matchup for him going up against a very lanky Sandhagen who's so dangerous, so fast. He's going to be a lot fat. Well, I don't know if he'll be a lot faster, but he's he's just got that – he's got a very fluid movement. Corey is like the closest resemblance right now to Dominic Cruz. In terms yeah. of the way he moves about the octagon. I, I guess so. I, it, that's definitely has still apples and oranges. But oh, it's, yeah. It's very much what you're saying in that the fluidity in his movement and how he kind of combines that movement with his striking. Um, that's kind of what you, that's kind of, he's kind of like a, a, a bantamweight wonder boy in a way. Uh, still a different style for sure. But it's just it's a tough matchup for Frankie, I think, in his second fight of Bantamweight, but it's one that makes sense since he did beat Pedro Munoz, and now he's in that top five. And once you've reached the top five, you're a title contender, so it's important to kind of keep him matched up against other guys in that top five. But it's definitely going to answer a lot of questions about how good he can actually be. Can he actually fight for a title? That's what I'm interested to see more so, because I really already believe Sam Hagen can. 
Yeah, and I this can, can be a future champion. Oh yeah, can and do that. Right, and this should line up to where again, this is all knock on wood right now. <laughs> Sterling and Jan was supposed to happen this month, gets delayed. Should happen first quarter of 2021, I'd have to imagine, unless they pivot away. This is happening in February, so it really does line up to where the winner of this should get a title shot after that. However, we're still waiting on a guy named TJ Dillashaw, so that's kind of the odd piece of the puzzle. But yes, this is a huge fight regardless for both guys. Well, I guess my another question we can bring up here is Sanhagen called out TJ Dillashaw. I love that call out too. I thought that was a great matchup, but I'm wondering if that means that maybe Sanhagen's people didn't get maybe what they were looking for there. Maybe T- UFC might have different plans for TJ. Yeah. I don't see what those other plans could be unless, I mean, is he being inserted right away into that title shot? Like, I don't know. Who knows? Technically never lost the Bantamweight belt, but mm-hmm. when you go off of how he got stripped of it, <laughs> being PEDs and whatnot, I, I don't necessarily agree with him being inserted immediately back in. Right. I, I have a hard time figuring out what they want to do with TJ. Yeah, that, that's a very good way to put it. I mean, we'll talk about TJ a little more later, but yeah. This fight, Sanhagen-Egger, very fun. Makes a lot of sense. I, I'm all here for it. Mm-hmm. Our other Bantamweight fight that we got announced is happening uh, three weeks later on February 27th. Rafaela Sunsell versus, is it Rayoni Barcelos? Yeah, I think we've actually broken him down once before. Yeah, he had the fight of the night against Khalid Taha um, on that Tiago Santos Glover Teixeira card. Um, That was the, I wasn't able to do those episodes with you. Right. So that was his big breakout fight, and he's being given a top 15 guy here, a top 10 guy in a Sunsell. Yeah. And Sunsell is on a three fight skid right now. So this is uh, this is also an interesting fight because Barcelos, contrary to what you might think, is not some young young stud. I mean, he's a stud, but he's thirty three years old. So right. he's already in his athletic prime, maybe on the tail end of his athletic prime. He's sixteen and one, and then that so far, like he did beat Saeed Nurmagomedov way back in December twenty nineteen on that Edgar Korean Zombie card, and then he has that fight of the night performance against Khalid Taha on Santos Teixeira. It, it, I feel like it's warranted for him to get this top 15 guy. He's um, 5-0 and in the UFC. He's looked really good. Um, yeah, I, and for a Sun Sal, this is a guy who's going in the opposite direction. A Sun Sal is 27-8 and now. Before his three-fight skid, he was 27-5. and He had that big fight to headline one of the first ESPN cards with Marlon Moraes, and the winner of that was probably getting the title shot. Yep. He got beat with relative ease by Marais, who at that time was just surging. Yeah. But then since then, he's lost unanimously to Corey Sandhagen, and then he got knocked out by Cody Garbrandt and what might have been knockout of the year back at UFC 250. So this is an interesting fight for him because, you know, it, it, this is kind of going to become um, a pattern. But he's 38 years old. He's lost three straight fights. He's been in the UFC for a long time, so you know he's making good money per fight. The question has to be, if he loses this, Chopping is this block. it for him? Right. It's a winnable fight. I mean, this is a big jump up for Barcelos, who is going from guys like Khalid Taha and Saeed Nurmagomedov, who are prospects, 
to season vet. Yeah, to someone who's a top ten talent, and no matter what kind of losing streak you're on, I mean, the Suns have fought three top ten guys, so it's it's an interesting matchup. I I don't know how I see it going right now, but I like the fight. I think it makes sense. Yeah, uh, the UFC must see something here in Barcelos, again being unranked, taking on number nine. Good way for him to really launch himself into the mix of this top ten. We know, especially in divisions like this that are so hot, a couple really convincing wins really can go a long way for you rather than squeaking by with some decisions because um, that's what they want to see in a division full of killers like this. For Sun Tzu, could be fighting for his career in the UFC here. Um should be coming in with a chip on his shoulder. Hey, they're giving me this unranked guy all of a sudden just because I've lost to three of the best guys in the division. Maybe that's going through his head. Um, could be a lot of mental stuff going on uh, for this fight uh, with both guys. But it should be very fun stylistically as well. Could be a battle. A Sun Tzu and Garbrandt was a very good fight, um, and we saw that end. at the. It was the second round buzzer beater. It was second round, right? Uh, yeah, at the end of the second round. So, um, Asuncao is no stranger to good fights, and uh, this should be another one. Again, a great night, uh, a great fight for a fight night. This should definitely be main card worthy. Again, we're still waiting that calm before the storm. All these January, February fights should be rolling in just like that these coming weeks. So, this is a fun one. Uh, and again, bantamweight division right now, the best and strongest it's ever been at. I'm all here for it. And what an opportunity for Barcelos when you consider the fact Bantamweight is arguably the most stacked division in the entire promotion from yeah. top to bottom. And for him, he's not even a top 15 rank yet, and yet he's getting an opportunity here to go up against number nine, a Sun Sal. So he's getting an opportunity to jump right into top 10 and oh, really yeah. get into to the lion's den that is that, that top of the heap there. So... Um, a big opportunity there for him, and but you got to feel like a Sun Sal is going to be motivated because he has to know that another loss and he might be done. Right. So I, I like the matchup. We'll see kind of where it lines up on that card. I'm sure we'll break that down regardless of where it's placed. But oh yeah, big big moves being made for bantamweight, and obviously we'll be talking about them when we do some of our matchmaking stuff later. So I guess for now we'll just kind of leave it there. Sounds Agreed. good to me. Okay. Then that is the end of the news. The news. Time for the recap. Yep. So we're going to go ahead and start. Uh, since this will be a little out of order from how we broke them down, since we'll do it off of the actual placement on the card. So we're going to do our women's uh, flyweight fight first. Tyler Santos, Jillian Robertson. Well, I guess before we even get in there, um, maybe we should give an op- take an op- take a moment here to just uh, quickly kind of touch on some of the other action that happened. And I I think we have to start by giving a shout out to Jimmy Flick. Oh yeah. Flyweight guy that was on the contender series. Dom has been talking him up for a while now. He had a matchup here with Cody Durden looked a little suspect at first. Durden was definitely uh, piecing him up a little bit um, or at least getting some good shots in. But Jimmy Flick, out of nowhere, with the flying triangle choke. The third uh, he ever. Is, he is looking to make a statement here at the end of the year with the submission of the year contender. Mm-hmm. Um, so big shout-out to him. Um, also, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Penny Kianzad. Ke- 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 
Yeah. Uh, she got a unanimous decision win over Sajara Eubanks. Those are two top 15 women's bantamweights, and they had a pretty good fight. A lot better than I thought it would be. That was a great fight. Especially on the feet. Came you know, down Sajara, to the wire, too. Yeah, Sajara known as being kind of that grappler-heavy style, but she they were standing and trading for, <laughs> especially that third round. Things got a little wild there. Oh, it came down to that third round, too. Um, also want to shout out to Fon and Chukwi. Another contender series guy. He was only four and O going into this fight in his professional career. So you know the UFC has seen something in him. Built like Nganu, but at middleweight. Yeah, yeah. He got a unanimous decision win over Jamie Pickett, another contender series veteran, uh 30-25 and then 30-26 on two scorecards. Not a great fight, but for in Chukwi, I will say that um the guy's very raw. And that's obvious, but he does have some crazy power. It's just about putting it together, mm-hmm. uh, just putting together like a complete arsenal. Because he definitely kind of goes to the same combinations. He tries to throw the overhand right, get get him off balance, and throw a head kick with the opposite leg. Yeah, and it that's comes so effortlessly. That that's how he knocked out uh, his contender series opponent. And Brutal. apparently, he threw that like twenty times before it actually landed. But it landed, so that's the highlight reel. And he threw, he went to that well a lot in this fight. I just think he needs to work on getting a complete arsenal of weapons there and um, really, I guess, uh, getting more combinations together and being able to trick his opponents more. But uh, still, impressive win. Jamie Pickett, a guy who had a lot more experience than him. Right. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say? Oh, uh, no. I mean, that was kind of the notable stuff. Um, Flick was awesome. I, I was very happy to see that going into 2021. The third ever flying triangle choke in the UFC, which is kind of surprising, but you just never know these days. There's so many submissions. Um, like you said, started a little rough for him, but uh, ended up getting confident, pulled off the submission, excited to see him more than likely get top 15 next year. Uh, and again, the flyweight division for men right now is definitely the best spot it's ever been at. And here's another guy that can add some more fun to it. So I'm big on Jimmy Flick. That was one of my yeah. bigger takeaways of the evening. I'm definitely rooting for him to skyrocket here. Mm-hmm. But now we'll go ahead and break down Taylor Santos, Jillian Robertson. This ended up being placed a little bit lower on this prelim than uh, how we originally thought it was going to be. Uh, Santos, again, got the unanimous decision win. Dom, if you want to go ahead and break down the action that occurred. Oh, man. I mean, it was really three rounds of Taylor just dominating top position. Um, I kind of foresaw that, I guess, in a certain extent. I mean, I predicted her to win by decision. However, I thought Jillian would have a stronger showing. Um, But it just turns out Jillian's uh, striking abilities just aren't quite there yet to kind of put her into that top 10 echelon again she was coming in ranked 12th last night um tied or beat ronda rousey's record for most submission wins in the ufc women's divisions um so still young i think only 25 a bright future i just think she needs to square away a couple more aspects of her game she's got guys down there at att with dean thomas she has a great corner so i don't doubt that we'll see jillian back stronger Um, But she really just had no answer. She was just trying to pull off submissions from the bottom. But if you have someone as experienced and as good as a 16-1, now 17-1 Taylor Santos, she wasn't going to get caught in any of those submissions. Knew exactly what to do, escaped all of them, and really just grinded it out on top. Um, 
I think, what was it, 30-26 times three, so she even had a 10-8 round besides the one judge that scored it for a 29-28. I don't know where that came from. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Taylor looked good. Now I just kind of want to see her get tested with a really good striker uh, in this division. I think even mm -hmm. someone like an Andrea Lee would be a good fight for Taylor Santos. Um, that's also a good fight for Jillian Robertson because that was the original booking. So we'll kind of see what happens for both of these women. But Taylor Santos, 17-1, and one, very good, very skillful, very strong. Looked a lot bigger than Jillian in the octagon last night. Um, so I think both of these women have a bright future, um, just more so for Jillian to become more well-rounded. But again, only 25, and I think Taylor was only 27. So we'll be seeing a lot more of both of these girls. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I I think it seemed like the whole game plan for Robertson here was to just avoid striking altogether, pull guard if she could, get her to the ground. But Santos looked so comfortable there. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, was there a couple times where it got a little dicey, especially in that second and third round where uh, Robertson was able to get some sort of a submission attempt? Yes, but... Even then, Santos looked so composed, didn't look like she was concerned at all, um, refused to give up that top position, even when she was like in an arm, like potentially looking like she might be in an arm bar in the third round, things like that. Um, it was still a decent overall fight. It was, um, you know, because Robertson was trying to threaten with the submissions. Yep. But um, Santos just, it, there wasn't a ton to take away from defeat just because it wasn't really there that long. And even when they were on the feet, it was a lot of clinch. And that's where, again, Robertson's whole game plan was to get this fight to the ground. But it didn't really look like she had a crazy advantage there. Like, sure, she looked like she was very comfortable throwing those submissions off her back and whatnot. But Santos looked just as comfortable to weather the storm, if you want to even call it that, or right. uh, deal with it. And she had some nice shots from the ground and pound and whatnot so a big for a big win for santos i really like the andrea lee, andrea lee fight like you mentioned i think that's a good test as far as where her striking is because you know she's santos is looking really good though molly mccann was a big step and then robertson another big step she's so and, big and strong for that division it seemed like last yeah. night yeah that was a yeah she really did just have a big strength advantage and for Robertson, I actually like a matchup of potentially uh, Antonina Shevchenko. Yeah. Um, that's someone, Shevchenko, who has struggled at times when it came to her takedown defense, and she showed a lot of improvement in that in her last fight with Ariane Lipsky. Yeah, we so saw an Antonina 2.0 in that fight. Yeah, so um, it, I, I like that matchup potentially, you know, Robertson being a much younger uh, fighter than Antonina is at this point but I think that it would make a lot of sense on paper. So um, not a ton, I guess, to take away besides that Santos just is what we thought she could be, is mm -hmm. that she's legit. She's legit everywhere. Oh, yeah. I wish we would have got to see her strike more, but we at least know yeah. she's a threat on the ground. That's why, yeah, yeah kind of just let's put her in with a pure striker next and let her go three rounds on the feet and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Our next, next fight, the prelim headliner, Anthony Pettis, Alex Morano. Uh, a fight where I, I'll say at first, uh, you know, Anthony looked, was in some trouble early. He slipped off the first head kick he threw, like literally five, ten seconds into the fight. Yeah. And 
Murata was able to immediately pounce on his back and had that position for a good amount of the first round. Um, and that's kind of why it was 29-28 because Murata probably got that first round. But after that first round, Anthony Pettis was just looking so comfortable um, on the feet. And obviously in the third round, he landed a crazy wheel kick that nearly finished the fight. Uh, it was a really good bounce back for Pettis. I mean, he did win his last fight against Cerrone. That was a fight I kind of thought Cerrone might have won. Right. But um, he definitely looked like he had a new sense of energy and new confidence to him. And I enjoy seeing that out of a, a legend like Showtime. So I don't know what's next for him, but I, I do think that this was a step in the right direction on him getting back on track and maybe having a late resurgence here in his career. Any thoughts for you? Yeah, I mean, I think if he stays at welterweight, then we match him with the gentleman that fought on this main card um, that we'll talk about later. But if he goes to lightweight, how he mentioned he wants to do going forward in his post-fight presser, I think we throw him in with Benil Dariush. I think that fight is absolute fireworks. Uh, it's a really good stylistic matchup. Pettis looked good. Now back on that winning streak for the first time in six years. Um, I mean, outside of that first round, it was really all Pettis. He's, his striking is still top-notch. Still pulled some tricks out of the bag like we're used to seeing from him. Um, but even looked good on the ground. I think it was in the second round, or the, maybe the beginning of the third, we saw him uh, hold decent top control and look good on the ground. So, uh, And then the spinning wheel kick that had Murano on the spaghetti legs. I mean, that was all Anthony Pettis there. We're so used to seeing stuff like that. So it's good. It's a feel-good story for him, kind of getting his mental back where it needs to be, um, clean off of the alcohol and all that stuff. So he looked good physically. Um, I still think 155 is like his best weight class in terms of just natural. 170, if we're talking like him wanting to bump up in the rankings, there's some guys in that division that are way bigger than him. So I think if he does what he says and wants to go to 155, his perfect weight class for his body type, uh, Dariush is an incredible fight. Top 15, which is Pettis deserves in either weight class. And stylistically, I mean, <laughs> woo, that's a fun one. Yeah, I like that matchup. Dariush is booked right now, so I'm curious kind of what, if Pettis wants to stay active, I like a matchup with Ally Aquina, the guy who hasn't been in the octagon for a long time at this point. I think I'd be good for both guys. Uh, also, Kevin Lee, who's mm -hmm. still injured. I don't know how long he's going to be out for. But two completely different style matchups. But I probably prefer the Rage and Owl one because I think that those guys would put on a hell of a show. Right. Kevin Lee is pretty big for lightweight. So that Pettis might fall into that same trap he has at welterweight going up against guys that are just bigger than him, you know. So... Um, there's a lot of options for him, though. I think the Darius fight down the line makes a lot of sense. And even, like, a fight with Drew Dober or Islam Makachev, like, I could totally see it. Gregor Gillespie, even. Like, uh, some of those, I like, question his ability to win them right now, especially some of those heavy grappling styles, uh, because he's a guy that really likes to get some space to do some flashy, to really work his full arsenal of weapons he mm -hmm. really needs that space to do like the spinning shit and the, a lot of the you know flash striking he has but he's also a technical striker at the same time but when you have someone who's just trying to close that distance as much as possible and you got the smaller octagon um 
those grapplers are probably going to give him a lot of trouble. So give me Al Iquina. That's not seen old Al in a long time. Yeah, so it makes sense. But I also, Pettis, just stay with one weight class, man. Yeah. Unfortunately, rankings speak a lot nowadays. And because of that, this, you know, we, we've seen him fight at featherweight when he fought Max Holloway back in the day for the interim belt. And now he's fighting at 170. Talking about going back to 155. I think 155 is the, the ideal spot for him. I just want him to stay put. <laughs> and hopefully he's serious about just stay, going to lightweight, staying there. Right. Now we open our main card, heavyweight, Marcin Tibera, Greg Hardy. I think there's a lot to take away from this one. Yeah, um, you know, Hardy came out and really dominated round one. Um, <laughs> shout out to Tibera for just taking shots. Like, he was getting hit in the head with a hammer, essentially. Uh, it was hard to watch. He was getting dominated, busted up real good in that first round. It was all Greg Hardy. But, man, Tibera weathered the storm and comes out in round two. And dominated round two. I mean, it was all Tibura. The shots weren't necessarily as big, um, but he was just winning on the feet. And as soon as that fight went to the ground, Greg Hardy looked helpless. Um, that's clearly the biggest weakness in his game. Again, so new to this MMA thing. He's got a great corner as well with ATT, Dean Thomas. So I don't doubt that he can get better. But there are just levels to this game, and uh, Tibera showed it. That's his fourth straight win now. He got the second round TKO, 4 minutes, 31 seconds in. And, I mean, really, you saw that as soon as Greg got put on his back, he didn't know what to do. I mean, he couldn't – he definitely wasn't going to get up to his feet. But, I mean, he couldn't even get out or transition into, like, a full guard. He was just stuck. And uh, Tibera capitalized on it, and that's really all I can say. Hardy's gas tank – I don't want to say faded. He was still there in the second round, but definitely wasn't as sharp as the first round. And we knew when breaking down this fight on Friday, we said the longer this fight goes, the more we favor Tibera. And that's why we both predicted, I think, a decision for him. Uh, and it really showed here. Um, so shout out Marcin Tibera. The Polish power strikes again in the UFC. And uh, I'm excited for him. I think Tibera deserves a top 15 next. Uh, four fights in a row. I don't know. He's... He's fought so many guys. Maybe he rematches your boy Arlovsky. Maybe he takes on Ivanov. Maybe we put him with Pavlovich or Walt Harris. But he definitely is deserving a top 15 for Greg Hardy. Go back to the drawing board. Definitely just work on that grappling a little more. Or a lot more. Build that cardio up some more. And um, we'll see what's next for Greg Hardy. Definitely not ranked opponent just yet, though. There was a lot of weird comments from greg hardy in this in the lead up to this fight i don't know if you saw any of this but i saw the boxing one yeah so that's what i was gonna get at in 2021 he was wanting to he was gonna be boxing and he was gonna beat guys like fury and joshua wilder and all that which i know is probably just blowing smoke but um <laughs> it's just i i don't know what greg hardy's plan is here because in the last fight, in the lead-up, he was very humble. He was talking about how he would have rated himself as a D-level fighter. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm not saying that guy should be down on themselves. But I was like, you know what? I like that. I like that a guy can honestly like look at himself and go, I have a lot to improve on. Right. And this is a guy who had, you know, in all of his wins, was knocking out guys with relative ease. You yeah. know? So it's, it, it takes a lot to be able to self-reflect and say that. 
was I necessarily impressed with his win over Maurice Green? No, I mean, I, I it was a good win, but Maurice Green, not necessarily like a world killer by any means, but still a guy who's been in there with some guys, so it it was a step in the right direction at least. I mean, really, for Hardy, his most impressive performance still was his loss to Volkov. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. as weird as that sounds. And what's that fight is looking even more and more like just this distant memory because first off round one hardy striking was looking great yeah i mean, I, mean I don't know how ty bureau was taking the shots ty bureau couldn't dodge anything no, that, no. hardy was so fast so much power behind those shots that he was throwing and they were hurting they were landing cleanly i was like wow yeah. This is like the whole new Greg Hardy we're seeing here. Like this is the improvement I was looking for because we know how good of an athlete he is, considering his background in the NFL, and then just how he's looked. But he just, you know, he's still new to this whole sport relatively compared to everybody else. So it's it's important for him to really get that technical side. But in this fight, I kept saying that his really chance at winning. When you're going up against a guy who's so technical, like Tibera, it was to really get him out of there early. And he looked like he was trying to do that, but he was doing that in a smart way. He was His striking was very intelligent, I thought, in round mm-hmm. one. Um, and I will give him credit for that. However, round two starts, he is his gas tank is gone. Mm-hmm. Gone. He had nothing left. Nothing left. And Tibera just took full advantage, started piecing him up. Um, eventually, uh, did he did he hurt him and drop him, or was it? I think he more so kind of backed him up near the fence, and just from there got the double leg, and down he went. And down he went. And you're right; he literally looked like he didn't know what he was doing on the ground. But I, I also feel like he was so exhausted <laughs> that I don't know if we can really know that for sure. I mean. Yeah, you would like to see a guy, like, just try to pull guard or something there. Like, show me something. And maybe that does say a lot about his ground game and how, like, it's just not there. But I think he was just so exhausted he was done. So I think the bigger takeaway isn't that he doesn't have a ground game. I think it's that he has no gas tank. Yeah. That's my takeaway. And for Tibera, impressive to come back that way. But if I'm being honest... I'm not quite sure that that win is as, like, is it really that impressive? Like, the, I don't know if it like, if Hardy had the ability to go three rounds in that fight, I don't know if Tybura is able to come back like he is. It's still a win, and he was able to finish Greg Hardy, but i i'm looking at more of a matchup with someone now this is still a fringe top 15 guy but tanner bozer yeah i think that's a matchup that makes a lot of sense um i know he's wanting to go top 15 um type bureau but i i just if he did do top 15 i wouldn't necessarily want him to rematch someone like arlovsky even though that might make sense I, i'd rather him fight someone like he hasn't fought before like walt harris but i I think uh, I'm not quite sold on him going to top 15 yet. I mean, the win before that against Rothwell, sure, like that was a great win for him. Right. But here, man, I mean, he he was hurt, and he was hurt bad. And 
honestly, I feel like he was saved by the fact that his opponent was is such a novice at, at really all aspects of the sport, but just had no, nothing left in that second round. He just kind of was able to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Not to, and I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on the guy. I'm just saying that uh, maybe top 15 is just too, he's, he's done it before. He's been a top 10 guy before. So I guess it's, um, I don't know. I think either or makes sense. Tanner Bozer still basically, he's like 16 at yeah. this point. Yeah. Or a lot of, he took his spot. So, I mean, it's really, you're just picking hairs, but Walt Harris just seems like it might be a little too much for him right now. I don't know. Still, it was a, it was a fun fight though for how long it lasted. Yeah, the big boys never fail to disappoint, or at least most of the time. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to go on to uh, Bantamweight, Rob Fott, Marlon Marais. Rob Fott, man, uh, hadn't seen him in a year. He comes out and TKOs Marlon Marais and gets it done with relative ease. Three minutes, 47 seconds around number one. Dom, you told me before this podcast, before we started <laughs> recording, that your biggest takeaway of the night was Rob Fott. Yep. I want I want to give you the floor here to tell the people why. Yeah, even last night, or I guess Saturday night, watching the fights, right when they were getting ready to come out uh, to enter the octagon, I texted in our little UFC friend group, and I said, I I got a last-minute gut feeling Rob Font's going to pull out this win. Uh, Then the fight starts, and Marlon goes immediately for a takedown and holds them there for, I think, mm, let's see, when did the fight end? 347? So it was about the first two, two and a half minutes, it was all Marlon on the ground, which we never see out of Marlon Marais. So that was clearly his game plan coming into this. Um, and really, for a guy like Fawn who hasn't fought in a year, I think a lot of people, including even myself, forgot how good his striking is. And uh, Marlon clearly did not forget that because he went straight to the ground. Yeah. However, Fawn's able to weather the storm. He gets up. Marlon didn't do much damage, by the way, when he was on, on top. And uh, as soon as this got up to the feet, whoo-wee, Rob Font's boxing is crispy. Very clean striking out of the New England cartel uh, up there in the Boston area with Calvin Cater even in his corner. Uh, Something just is in the water up there because this dude's boxing is legit. I mean, to be able to do what he did to a guy like Marlon Marais was incredible. He pieced up Marlon on the feet. The combination that dropped Marlon was beautiful. Uh, And really, he started uh, into hurting Marlon with a jab, which, you know, we don't see that very often, at least a jab of this uh, caliber. And he knocked Marlon all the way back to the fence. Then the combo landed, set Marlon down, and he just went in for the kill. Uh, Shout-out Rob Fontman, ranked 11th, taking on the biggest test of his career, passed it with flying colors. Um, it's nothing but up for here for after what I saw last night. Weathered the storm on the ground, didn't look uncomfortable off of his back, and on the feet, he's going to compete with anybody in this top five of this division yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, yeah, it's disappointing for Marlon Marais, isn't it? Because um, we definitely were worried about this matchup after Marais had been finished the way he had against Sanhagen with that spinning wheel kick kind of really hurt him in that fight and for him to come, turn around two months later with a guy like Rob Fah who's got such a good boxing background uh, it was really smart game plan by him to try to get the fight to the ground I thought and I think that that 
if you want to have a positive from Marais here, that's it, is that um, it looks like he's going to have to start leaning more into grappling because uh, it's it's appearing that his chin's not going to be quite able to take those shots like maybe they were at one time. And maybe maybe they can. It's it's such a quick turnaround. You don't really know how the body's going to respond to it. If he takes six, seven months after this performance and comes back, you know, next August or in July or something, maybe he is able to go into war with someone like Cody Garbrandt. Like, who knows? Like, you right. just, you don't know how the body's going to really respond. But my guess right now is that Rice just isn't going to be able to withstand those kind of, the kind of punches, especially when it was a jab. Like, I know guys have really good jabs out there. Go watch a fight like GSP versus Josh Koscheck for showing how jabs can literally dictate a fight and right. make a difference. But here, it, it was the first one, like, just had him wobbled, and he was just done immediately. Like, it was, there was – that fight was going to be over <laughs> regardless of what happened the moment he landed that jab. Oh, yeah. That's just – that's crazy for a guy like Marais who – he has withstanded some punishment before, you know, he's been in, I don't want to say he's been in wars because really for the most part in the UFC, we've only seen him either. I mean, he's really been finishing guys early or, you or know, getting Cejudo knocked fight. out himself. In the Cejudo fight, he looked great early on and then uh, ran out of gas. But, you know, you just, with a guy who has such a, such a good power to his shot, especially with the light kicks. And you just see him not able to take even half that kind of power back. At least he has the grip. Like, it looks like he is competent in the grappling to where he can he could still do some damage in this division with that. I was intrigued. I wish it would have stayed on the ground a little longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a good on font to be able to get the fight back standing and not let it go back to the ground, truth be told. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at, I want Marlon to take some time off, first off. I don't want him to get, but so when we're matchmaking here, I, this is, whenever we matchmake, I think I like to look at it like we're saying within the next six months. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Like, so. I think a guy like Marlon right now, six months, yeah. So for Marlon Marais, he was third going into this fight. I don't know how much they're going to drop him here. I would say he won't go below like sixth. But I don't know how high Rob Font's going to go either. I mean, he's going from 11th here. Is, are they really going to put him in at number three? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. So my matchups here, Marlon Marais versus a guy we'll talk about later, Marlon Vera. Yep. And then I'm going to go Rob Font versus TJ Dillashaw. Are either of these matchups realistic? I don't know. TJ seems like the kind of guy who's going to come back and try to make a big splash. UFC going to try to capitalize on people wanting to see TJ lose and put him up against someone in a big, high-profile fight. But a lot of these guys in this division are booked. I mean, if you really look at 1 through 15, mm -hmm. I'll break it down for you right here, Dom. Here's the guys without a matchup right now. And I'm assuming Jan and Sterling is going to be booked when I'm saying this. So Marlon Marais is third as of today. Fourth is Cody Garbrandt. And then you got seventh, Jose Aldo. You got 11th, Rob Font. 12, Marav Davalish Fili. 13, Cody Stamen. 14, Song Yudong. 15, Marlon Vera. So that back of the pack are all looking for matchups. But when you go towards the top, 
Only a for a guy like Ott, for a guy like Fott, who just has the biggest one of his career, he's going to be wanting to find another fight that gets him closer to the title. Right. TJ Dillashaw is the only one that makes sense. It's him or Cody Garbrandt, but I'm going to save Cody for another yeah. <laughs> matchup later. But I just think that fight makes a lot of sense. It's for TJ, Rob Font still has something to prove. You know, the boxing looked great, but we're going to walk away from this fight with just as much questions about Marlon Marais's future, you know, now. Now he's right. the guy that's being like, oh, is he done? So th- did we just see Font beat up a washed... Marlon Marais, I don't necessarily think so, but I'm just saying that that's out there. Mm-hmm. So you put him up with TJ, TJ probably thinking, okay, this is a good welcome back fight for me, a winnable fight, because it is a winnable fight. I mean, for both guys, it's winnable. While for Marais, let's say he drops the sixth and or however far he drops, Marlon Vera, whether he's 15th or unranked, I think that fight makes a lot of sense because Marlon Vera doesn't necessarily have knockout power but he will bring pressure. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it tests Marais's, uh, it, t- it tests his um, stamina, but it's not necessarily a fight where he's going to get knocked out with one punch. At least I wouldn't assume so. Right. And Vera showed some, uh, for Vera, it showed, you know, we'll talk about this more when we get to his fight, but he showed some problems when it came to the grappling as far as yeah. being able to get out of those compromising positions we'll just say for now right so i think it's still a good test for both guys and i think that that's the marice needs to go back even a little bit more to try to get his mojo back you know yeah i mean i'm i'm kind of all there on both ends i i think font versus cody is an incredible fight incredible Mm. stand-up war but i also like your idea of what you have for cody uh (laughs) either way and i just don't know like is cody gonna do 125 now that Davison's going to have a rematch, like, I don't know what's going on with Cody right now. He's calling out a lot of, like, big fights. Henry yeah. Cejudo and all that fun stuff, Davison. So, I don't really know. I just want Cody to be back in that octagon soon. He said March. Rob Font didn't take any damage last night. I think March would be a good timeline for him as well. Uh, I'm all down for Font versus Cody. Uh, but Font versus TJ is a good welcome back uh, party for TJ to have. And for Fawn, I mean, obviously, if you just KO uh, Marlon and then you come in and beat TJ Dillashaw, one of the best Bantamweights ever, you're right there now for a title. So either way, both make sense. And the Vera fight for Marlon, I think he needs a step back. I put that in quotes there because Marlon is still an absolute, and I'm talking about Marlon Cheeto Vera now, um, he's still an absolute stud. We saw that with Aldo. However, we saw some of his weaknesses as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that fight makes sense, especially with a lot of these guys booked. If he doesn't fight a guy like him, I mean, we're talking Davalish Bili, Stamen, Yadong. Really, two of those three, he has a high chance of getting knocked out potentially. And, uh, I mean, maybe Davalish Bili would be a fun one. That'd be a good test for Marab. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all for any of those latter 12 through 15 guys that should be next for uh, Marlon Marais. I'll put it that way. Yeah, agreed. We move on to welterweight Michelle Pereira, Chaos Williams, Dominic. Whew. Did this fight live up to the hype? Uh, yes and no. Does that work? I think it was a. I think it was just a more technical fight than we gave it credit for being in the lead up. Yeah, and I'm here for that. Uh, it was a good, very, 
very close. The only round that I knew there was a for sure winner of was round three. I knew that Michelle Pereira won round three. One and two, couldn't tell you, to be honest. Uh, it was very close because it came out to where the total strikes were, were an advantage of chaos, rounds one and two. But if you're watching the fight, and I think it's just because of all the movement that Michelle does, yeah. I was like, did Michelle win that round, though? But I don't really know because Chaos hit him with some good shots. Michelle so, was just eating them. Yeah. So it looked like to me that I personally scored it 2-1 Chaos Williams. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Round three was the clearly most yeah. decisive, and that was to Michelle Pereira. Rounds one and two were so close. I thought Chaos Williams was landing more often. Yeah, and definitely I, bigger, it felt like. It was bigger shots, but it felt like Pereira's shots were hurting more. Yeah, it was it was hard. Like Chaos definitely was like having his head bounce back a few times. It felt like every haymaker that landed on Pereira, he just ate it. Yeah. <laughs> which is very impressive. And maybe the judges might have been swayed by some of that movement because there was so much feigning from Pereira's end. Like <laughs> he just I mean, that guy just is so wild and Again, these last couple performances from him, first with Zalim Amadayev, and now here, we're seeing a more a more composed fighter. Yeah, so he is known for, uh, you know, the standing full tucks, the cartwheels, the, I don't even know what to call it, all this He did stuff. throw that crazy, like, he put his hands on the on the Yeah, and, like, and, like, kicked like, backward, it was wild. Like, like, he, like he was a damn horse or something. <laughs> yeah, like, dude. It. Um... But for the most part, the past couple fights, we've seen Michelle conserve more energy while still being flashy, but not too much to where he drains himself, which we saw early on in his first UFC loss. Because really, he should only have one loss. He dominated Diego Sanchez. I'm sorry. So, I mean, really, he's should be 4-1 and one at this point now, um, if you don't take away that illegal knee. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely looked good. He's built like a freaking statue. Chaos so by big. no means looked bad. Um, when Chaos got taken down, that's definitely where his weakness was. But all the way up until then was standing there, you know, right in the fight. So, you know, maybe for Chaos, back to the drawing board, just examine kind of what went wrong on the on the ground, uh, work on the takedown defense, just get more comfortable on the ground. Because Michelle didn't do much once it got down there. He just kind of controlled him, wouldn't let him get up. I think it was two takedowns. One of them was a really big one at the very end, yeah, which slammed. really like sealed the deal. The first one was like, all right. But then the second one, you're like, okay, he definitely won this round. So, uh, yeah, I mean, good things out of both guys here. It was a fun fight. I'm glad it wasn't some crazy first-round KO in 20 seconds. I enjoyed seeing both guys get tested. Neither guy got tired. Um, and I think we needed that more so for chaos because he was in the octagon – for 57 seconds his first two yeah. fights combined so to see him go a full 15 never really got tired kept a good pace that's a good thing to see out of him he still has a future ahead of him no doubt and uh for Pereira he just did what he had to do in that round three got the win again rounds one and two it's a toss-up and uh, afterward Michelle Pereira called out Anthony Pettis and I don't hate it um I don't hate it. Now, and I talked about this on Friday, Dana said that they had a top 15 lined up for Michelle in February. So he was already supposed to get top 15 in this division regardless. He said, no, I want to fight in 2020. So they gave him Chaos Williams. So now it's like, okay, he just won again. 
So you kind of have to give him a ranked opponent now. Pettis is technically ranked 12th, but the problem is Pettis said he wants to go back to lightweight. But Pettis responded to Michelle on Twitter with like a money sign and a like thinking emoji. So he's definitely not opposed to it. Pettis also needs to redo a contract because last night, Saturday night was his last fight on his contract. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. But for Michelle, he definitely needs a 12 through 15 guy. And we're talking Hamzat's going to be booked at least more than likely with Leon. So we got a guy like Robbie Lawler. I don't like that matchup at all for Robbie. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, who was supposed to fight on Saturday night and had to pull out due to COVID. That would be fun. And then we have Pettis at number 12. So, yeah, I don't know what they're going to give him, but he does deserve to fight someone with a number next to their name at this point. Yeah, Bilal Muhammad makes sense. Um, Again, I hope Pettis just goes to lightweight. Because Pereira is freaking huge. Dude, he is a monster. So if Pettis is having problems with these big guys at welterweight, I don't think he wants to go up against one of the biggest guys in that division. Yeah. A guy who cuts from like 210 pounds to make 170. Right. So I'm going to avoid that one. Bilal Muhammad makes a lot of sense. Um, Honestly, I wouldn't even be opposed to Jeff Neal. Fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Michelle better, is just so I, I, I have a better matchup for Jeff Neal in mind, so we'll wait on that one. But I'm just saying, if, if that was the fight that came to be, I wouldn't be opposed to it. As for Chaos Williams, uh, um, what about Randy Brown? Yeah, that's a good fight. He's walked away, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah that's Randy a good Brown. fight. Um, Nico Price? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That would be wild, huh? You know, those guys that always put on great fights, but they're just not quite at the top 15 yet. I think a fight that would be chaos is chaos <laughs> versus Mike Perry, even. Oh, gosh, yeah. That that would be fun, too. Like, see, those are three guys right there yeah. that the fans know, but they're not quite top 15, but they just always put on great fights, win or lose. And, and either one of those three could put you right in line for fifteen, top 15 next, yeah. especially if you come yes. out and you know have a really good performance. Either of those <laughs> yeah. three are, make a lot of sense for Chaos. Chaos is a very good boxer. Um, he does kind of wait for like the one big shot rather than let his hands go a little more, mm-hmm. and he does kind of get a little wild, but for the most part, he's a good boxer. Just like I'm assuming he's going to go back to the drawing board, obviously clean up some of the weaknesses. But uh, we'll be seeing chaos again, and I don't doubt we see another wild KO from him as well. Yeah, true. So now on to the co-main event. Jose Aldo, Marlon Vera. We had both predicted this to be fight of the night. I thought it was going that direction for two rounds. <laughs> yeah, though, it was. I, even, yeah. I called my shot in the group chat. I said, I'm loving this fight. Yeah. And then round three happened, and, you know, I'm not going to, like, by no means was it just some piss-poor round. I mean, it was, Aldo was able to get the back. He got the body triangle in, and he kept it there for about four minutes. It was impressive. Um, so, I'll, I'll rewind uh, back and forth fight here. Um, honestly, neither guy never really being hurt. I mean, Aldo definitely had the edge. It seemed like throughout, uh, he always just seemed to land harder. He seemed to bring more pressure. He just—it was a great performance from him. Body shots were nasty as always. 
for Marlon, I mean, okay, I did not give his leg kicks enough credit Friday, apparently. Yeah. yeah. But you showed me a stat about <laughs> he's landed more leg kicks than Aldo has in the UFC. And on Friday, I said, I don't think he wants to get into trading leg kicks with Aldo. That's what they now, were doing. Aldo, <laughs> now, sometimes it's quality over quantity. But uh, Barra's really lone offense here was the leg kicks, and yeah. he was landing them well. He was doing a very good job. Cheeto looked strong in round two. I, I yeah. think we both confidently said, you know, Aldo definitely got round one. He looked so good in round one. The body shots were nasty. Leg kicks were good. Even good strikes to the head. Cheeto then bounces back in round two. Looked really good on the feet. Uh, even held some clinch control. So then we're like, oh boy. Round three is going to be the deciding round. You know, it's one to one. It's been a stand-up war. And then... Take it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Aldo is able to get the back off of a, I don't know what, how it even happened. It was some sort of scramble or something on the feet. And Aldo was able to get Cheetos back, puts in that body triangle, which is anytime you get a body triangle put on you, you might as well just like, I don't know. It, <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know how you get out of that. It like, was how do you tight. get out of that? Uh, besides fighting defeat, like you, they kept, you know, Cheeto was trying, man. He was trying, but. He was twerking, trying to bounce him off his back. He even dumped him almost on his head one time and yeah. then I think dumped him a second time on his back yeah. Aldo would not let go of that body triangle and then once the last like 30 seconds came Cheeto just started winging punches at so Aldo's frustrated head. yeah you could tell how frustrated he was and I, I get it I mean it's but I, I I don't think it takes away from Aldo's performance I mean there that was he had the back control for four minutes yeah he was he never quite was able to get a submission on, but it didn't look like he was even really trying to. He was contempt with holding that the whole round if he had to. He was just kind of letting Cheeto fight hands with him, you know, threatening enough to where Cheeto could never commit to trying to break that body triangle, but never committing enough to where he was risking tiring his arms or something in case they did go back to the feet. So very smart veteran round for uh, Aldo, but just not an exciting one right <laughs> so it was kind of a weak ending to an otherwise great fight but still it Aldo gets that win at bantamweight that was a win he definitely needed in order to kind of keep himself alive here in this top 10 at this division and both these guys don't come away looking bad here like I said I I put Farrow with Marlon Marais next Marais yeah. is still a top 10 guy does that necessarily make a ton of sense? I mean, maybe you want Barra to go up against someone like Cody Stamen towards the back of the top 15, but I think that fight makes a lot of sense for Marlon Marais right now. However, Jose Aldo, um, I'm just going to say Cody Garbrandt. That's awesome. This is a fight. This is the fight I've wanted for months, for years. Didn't now. you have this on our versus? It was yeah, I believe it was on our verses. It was either that or fights we need to see. Yeah. And this is the fight at Bantamweight I need to see. Cody Garbrandt wants a big fight. That's obvious. He's calling out. He's talking shit to Henry Cejudo, to Sean O'Malley, to to me, everybody. to you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to the guy next door, <laughs> to you guys listening right now. Um, he's talking shit to everybody. And then you got Aldo who is a big name, who is kind of 
in that same I mean Garbrandt still has title aspirations and I know there's a lot of questions because he was looking like the next guy at flyweight now that's changed after the war that Davison and Moreno had and I think Cody sees that because immediately after that fight started calling out Cejudo so it's obvious he wants a big fight I don't think they'll do a TJ trilogy. No. TJ's won the first two. Please no. Let's not, let's not do that a third time for, for Cody's sake. Um, but Cody's fourth, Aldo's seventh. Makes sense. It's, Everybody it's else is booked. That is a hell of a fight because Cody's going to bring it and Aldo's going to be forced to really reciprocate there. You know, Vera was very content with, at times, Vera would pressure, but. He was very content with staying on the outside and letting Aldo kind of dictate the pace. And when Aldo does that, he gets so comfortable. But we haven't seen a ton from Aldo when it comes to when he has to just stand in the pocket and just trade. Yeah. And I think that's where you can see some, maybe even the best out of him at this point. Sure, that hasn't always went his way. You look at those Max Holloway fights where Holloway just really, not you know, just kept beating him down. But... <clears throat> down a weight class here against a smaller opponent in Garbrandt, that matchup is fireworks. And if Aldo wins that, he's maybe looking at another title yeah, shot. Who would have right thought? There. I'm just saying it, it makes a lot of sense. And, I would have said Frankie Edgar, but Edgar's booked. So Yeah, I mean, and for Cody, now there is no one else. Unless he literally is committed to going to flyweight in the long haul, give him a flyweight tune-up, but I don't think he's in it for the long haul. I think he just wanted a big fight for the title, which yeah. is fine. I mean, I don't care. But uh, in his natural weight class, him and Aldo here, that is such a fun fight. That's That's got a fight night main event all over it. Um, that's even up high as a co-main on a freaking pay-per-view. That's an awesome fight. You know, no love versus the veteran and Aldo. Cody has shown that he at times can be the absolute best in the world. That performance he had against Dominic Cruz to win the belt is one of my favorite performances I've ever witnessed in the octagon. For Jose, he's been there, done that, proven that he can hang in there with these top guys, even at a weight class uh, that's lower than what he's fought at his entire life. That fight makes a ton of sense, man. It's a stand-up war. I think a smart fighting Cody Garbrandt can win that fight, but a sloppy Cody that we've seen at times probably gets handled by a Jose Aldo. And... Um, I think, by all means, Cody could go in there and sleep Aldo. I think Aldo could go in and put on a star-making performance for three rounds and dominate Cody. I mean, it really is a lot of avenues that this fight could go, and it makes so much sense. It's such a fun, stylistic fight. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, completely agree. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on with those two? No, I mean, uh, still at the end of the day, it was a good fight. Round three was slightly disappointing, but at the end of the day, I respect anyone that does what they have to do to get the win at the end of the day. So, mm-hmm. And now our main event, Stephen Thompson, Jeff Neal. When you hear how this fight, you know, when you just look at it on paper, what happened, unanimous decision win for Stephen Thompson, 50-45 across the board. You'd probably think that this wouldn't have been fight of the night, but this was definitely my fight of the night. 100% fight of the night. And a lot of that just comes from Wonderboy's performance here. I mean, don't get me wrong. Jeff Neal gave it his best shot. Zero quit in Jeff Neal. Yeah, but this was the Wonderboy that... We all love. 
we all love it was a it was a uh, vintage or classic wonder boy performance here uh he just looked he looked fantastic i mean dare i say the best he's looked since i, I mean maybe ever it, it was one of his best performances we've seen in the ufc probably the best he's looked since he beat masvidal back in the day yeah spoiler alert for what's going to come here soon but um <laughs> yeah i mean there's not a ton to take away here because it kind of went how i thought it would yeah i didn't think the fight would be as good as it was but jeff neal was i think early on jeff neal struggled to really get going he looked like he was a little uh, gun shy or just it looked like he was having a hard time closing getting his distance. timing down. Yeah, closing the distance because as soon as he would go to try to back down Wonderboy, Wonderboy would stick him with two and would immediately get out of the way of like an overhand right that Jeff Neal was winding up. And that was the difference here. Jeff Neal's power just wasn't quite fast enough, wasn't quite good enough on this night to land properly on Wonder Boy. And Wonder Boy striking is just a beauty to watch. I mean, oh, it was... that's why almost every time the guy fights, I, I make him my fight of the night just because I love watching him, just the way he moves around the octagon. And it's just, he just beautiful. Moves, man. So masterful to watch. His striking is just so what, next level. What really even probably raised this fight from... I mean, it was probably already going to be fight of the night just because... He was really piecing up Jeff Neal, and for the most part, he was unscathed. There was an accidental headbutt that cut both of them pretty bad, actually. Yeah. Um, but then in round four, I believe, uh, Wonder Boy's uh, knee or leg got yeah. pretty banged up. And it kind of added to the drama of it because you know how much Wonder Boy depends on his movement. And in round five, man, what a round that was. Wonder Boy kind of being forced to just stand and trade with Jeff Neal, and these guys went at it. Man. Yeah, it I mean, Neal definitely had his moments. Round three was the strongest round for Neal, still gave it to Wonder Boy. And then round five was an awesome round. Definitely the compromised movement of Thompson went to Neal's advantage. Uh, Jeff Neal, no quit, man. He landed a ton of strikes himself, but just got outnumbered, outpaced outpointed i mean thompson was just piecing him up uh such a wonderful performance by steven it's so awesome to see him you know back in that win column on a win streak now uh after he beat luke a but it sucks that it's been such a long layoff i really really hope that knee injury isn't anything serious um it swelled up pretty bad and he was on crutches for the post fight uh interview so hopefully it's nothing too bad i'd love to see him in there you know maybe late first quarter of 2021 or early or i guess late spring i guess may something like that if possible um now it's just wonder boy's in a tough spot um i want to match make for jeff neal really quick because i think it's a lot easier and this is a fight that i love 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 i swear if you take mine i'm gonna be pissed well it might be the same thing I, no that's what i'm saying i think it's gonna be because we didn't talk about it beforehand it's luke a neal Yep, Luke Neal. That's the fight. Um, They're both coming off losses. Well, I guess Luke fought this year. But both have lost to Stephen Thompson in their most recent losses. I'll word it that way. And Mm -hmm. uh, this just has fireworks all over it, fight of the night all over it. 
fight of the year all over it. Um, that's a fight night headliner if I've ever seen one. Jeff Neal uh, doesn't deserve to like lose credibility just because of how good Steven looked last night. And Luke's still sitting right there at number 10, which is ahead of Neal. Um, I don't want to say Jeff got pushed too quickly, but it just sucks when the number five ranked guy is as good and as world-class as Steven Thompson. So uh, him and Luke is an incredible fight. It's by no means a disrespectful fight offer. It is a little slight drop, but it's something that makes more sense for him. And then after, if he were to beat Luke, work your way back into that top five rather than just get thrown right into it with the Wolves. Um, you agree with Luke, I'm guessing, then. Yeah, that's that. That's the fight, and I mean, I'm not gonna pretend like that's not an obvious one. Yeah. So I'm not gonna pretend like I'm the first person to ever think that's a great fight. But it, I mean, that fight. Yeah, it's. I mean, even honestly, like, you could put a co-main on a fight night, and you're really put something even bigger on top of it, and you're yeah. talking a hell of a card right there. Oh yeah. As for Steve Thompson, this is there are four people in front of. Well, five if you include the champion. It's safe to Usman's, say he's in a tough spot, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Usman looks like he's about to fight Gilbert Burns, who's number two, sometime in hopefully February. Hope so. Then you got Leon Edwards, who's number three, going up against number 15, Hamzat Chimaev. And then you got Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. That fight's been rumored for a while now. It's looked like there was a lot of interest in booking it and yet lately we just haven't heard anything i want to see if they're waiting on that because of tough that that was yeah i I remember talking to you about that on a different episode about wanting those two to be coaches uh that's true but i i personally right now would rather would rather pivot yeah and i want to see the bad, the BMF Jorge Masvidal faced the NMF Stephen Thompson. Yeah, and I and I get it. The odd man out here would be Colby Covington, and then he's in an awkward spot because, truthfully, he should be next after Usman Burns. He should be. Mm-hmm. That fight with Usman was so close. Yeah, he beat Woodley. I I think he's perfectly acceptable to fight for a belt again, but. If Hamzat Chimaev beats Leon Edwards, <laughs> Hamzat is definitely getting the next title <laughs> shot. And if, and I will debate anybody who tells me otherwise because look at a guy that they also said got pushed too fast years ago named Conor McGregor, <laughs> and look how that worked out for the UFC. Yeah. They ain't going to miss that cash cow if Hamzat beats Leon. If Leon wins, though, then you have an interesting conversation. <laughs> then we got so, another big wrench in this. Yeah, so uh, um, honestly, I wouldn't mind – if Stephen Thompson, if Leon Edwards wins against Hamzad, I wouldn't mind seeing Stephen fight Leon. I'm sure Leon would be like, oh, I demand a title shot. And I'm not saying it wouldn't be deserved. I'm just saying that probably wouldn't happen. But him and Wonderboy could be a title eliminator. There's a lot of options, but it's a lot of him. He's going to have to wait for a while to, yeah. to see what happens. And maybe that's good for him because he did have that injury that could put him out for – Hopefully no more than, like, a couple months, yeah. you know, when he can start training again. But I I personally want to see Masvidal and Stephen Thompson. That's Yeah, I mean, I love that. Uh, it's a rematch a few years in the making now. 
Thompson got the better of Jorge that first time. Since then, Jorge's went on this huge tear uh, outside of the loss to Usman. See, for me, I wish they'd pivot away from Leon and Hamzat and do Leon versus Steven. However, I know they're not going to do that. Um, I understand. Like you just said, if they can get you know this cash cow grab out of Hamzat, and I'm not saying it's all talk. Like He backs it up. Hamzat is legit. I mean, I get it. Um, so if he goes in and beats Leon, he probably is going to get a title shot. Um, I wish they would have given him someone else, like a Neil Magny. This is for Hamzat, just so I could have seen Leon and Steven. Um, so I can't really complain. I'm just in a spot right now where it's like, I just have to sit and wait as well, just like Steven does. Um, Steven Jorge's a great fight. Steven and Leon's a great fight. I mean... Even Steven and Colby, like, is sort of fun. I don't know. It's just all these guys are booked without being booked. So I'm just throwing a bunch right. of quotes right now, quotation markers with my fingers. So it's really just a waiting game, I think. He's in a tough spot. Um, but after the performance we saw, I think it's hard to deny him a top-five opponent. Like, I would hate for him to have to fight another guy behind him after what he did last night. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it, and I think it's kind of a great way to kind of close the book, you know, because we're just really we're just going to end up talking in circles here because we really just have to wait and see. Dana's famous words: "We'll see what happens." Yeah, yeah. And um, hopefully, one of these guys in front of Wonder Boy can open because, uh, yeah, do I love his chances against Colby or Usman? No. But I have no doubt that I would want to see it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I just, I think him and Masvidal is the matchup to make. But we'll see. It's it's honestly, like, for him, take some time. He's He showed why he's still a top five guy. He's fought for the belt twice before. One of those was an awesome fight. One of them was shit. Yeah. So. To, to come in there after more than a year off. And do what he did last, or on Saturday night, by the way, too, is really incredible and shows really how good Thompson is, no matter who he's going up against. And I and I think he's still a viable guy for on the UFC end. Like he, oh yeah, people love this guy. He's headlined a lot of cards. You know, he just headlined this one. I know he wasn't supposed to, but even before this, you know, he's headlined with Anthony Pettis with Darren Till, and if you go back. Before you know, we headlined one of the, the rematch with Tyron Woodley was a headliner. Yeah, I think uh, was him and Johnny Hendricks even a main event. Back I think in the him day. and Johnny Hendricks. I think him and Rory McDonald way yeah. back in the day was a main event. And yeah, the first fight with Woodley was the co-main or no? Yeah, it was co-main. co-main. And then that was below McGregor and Alvarez. So. Yeah, I mean, that was at MSG. Hello. like. Yeah, and then he was on the card where Masvidal fought Diaz. He fought Luque on that card. Yeah. So it's, you know, they obviously, like, see him as a big name, a big guy that I think he's still viable. That's oh, yeah. I know oh, yeah. he's old. He's, he's, he's going to be 38 in February. Uh, so his window here is small. That's what else is incredible, though, at the same time. Like, this he guy, looks like he looks like old. he's in high school, first off. Yeah. And then he goes out there and fights like he's, like, prime time, like, 28 years old. Uh, but, no, he's 37 going on 38 and just did that for five rounds. 
crazy. Yeah. And he doesn't look like he's taking a step back. I know he gets hurt. I know he's, you know, the Woodley, first Woodley fight, he got dropped real bad. And then he got dropped at the end of the Darren Till fight. And then he got knocked out cold by Anthony Pettis. But, you know, he's, like, I get it that those are real causes for concern. But at the same time, man, I mean, he, like, he still just looks this good. Yeah, I mean, and he got hit a couple times by Neil. Um, he didn't yeah. really have any scary Especially moments the, yeah. in that one. Yeah, so, you know, again, a year layoff could have helped as well. He's like a fine wine, you know. He's getting better with age. It's crazy. <laughs> but I think that's where we'll close the book. The chapter's been written. The ink is dried on hashtag UFC Vegas 17. And, watch this on- sorry, that's the end of the 2020 chapter for UFC previews and recaps. No more for like 27 days. That's the end of the book. Yeah. So 2021's book will start here in 27 days. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, so a great way to cap off here. Um, If we move into what's coming up for us, Wednesday, coming up in just a couple days, 2020 Year in Review Part 2. It's the end of year awards. We're going all out. We got like six or seven categories. Uh, we're each going to give an honorable mention and then have our below average Joe's winner. That rewards. So we're coming to a consensus here. Yeah, we, uh, we've got the tuxedos rented. We've got the you know five hundred dollar bottles of champagne. Yeah. It, it's a big thing. You know, the biggest MMA award show in all of MMA. Yeah, the biggest one, obviously. <laughs> Um, after that, a week from that Wednesday, as you guys know, we talked about this on Friday, but just in case you don't, I'll just briefly mention it again. Starting this Wednesday, for the next four weeks, it's going to be Wednesday on repeat. Yes, yep. So the 23rd is where we start, and then Wednesday, December 30th, we got 2021 fights we have to see, but more you know, than that, it's our first episode of this or that where me and Dom will go back and forth pitting the other one with two fights that are very plausible to happen in 2021 and we have to pick just one to happen yeah that's just because a chance to talk about some of those 2021 fights that we need that we want to see so bad right and these big high-profile matchups that are um, being rumored, so you'll get an idea of kind of where our thoughts are with some of these big rumored matchups. Wednesday, January 6th, the first episode of 2021. As of now, it's going to be a huge news episode. We so, hope. <laughs> yeah, so if, if we don't have a lot of news, which I have a hard time believing that, because this is the last episode where you guys are going to get news until then. December 6th. Yeah. Or January, January 6th. 6th. God, I always mess that up. January 6th. So I would like to think there's going to be something to talk about by then. Mm-hmm. Enough for a full episode length. Yeah, you know, so maybe that, maybe something like a Chandler Gaethje announcement. I don't know. Just maybe, spitballing. Are we, are we getting fans at Fight Island? <laughs> yeah. You know, like all this stuff. So that's coming January 6th. If anything changes on that, we'll, we won't remove that episode. We'll just do something else if there's not enough news. And then we'll cap it off Wednesday, January 13th, the first of another series that I've been big on trying to start. Classic pay-per-view reviews, UFC 1. 
taking it back to 1993. Yeah, you know, we weren't even born. That's okay. The one started all. I'm so excited to do that because I think me and you are going to watch it together, and that's just going to be sick. A blast. And, yeah, so then we'll pick back up that Friday, January 15th, oh. with a preview Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. Had the blessed hoodie on today, Noah. <laughs> Woo. I believe. So the Blessed Express is back. <laughs> Choo-choo, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> and we'll be talking about that then. And then obviously our content just freaking skyrockets for the rest of January. Yeah, yeah. You ever I heard of Conor back. McGregor? <laughs> the grind don't stop. <laughs> That's what's coming next. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Twitter and Instagram at DSalee14. Find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. And as for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at NTBaker underscore, you'll be taken to our link tree, which gives you the links to all the platforms that the podcast is on, along with our social media platforms. So the Twitter, the Instagram, along with the YouTube channel, the Anchor page, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, it's all on there. And there's a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That just provides us with a few dollars a month. All that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast, whether it be the audio equipment or down the line doing a video podcast. So again, you can find all that if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at ntbaker underscore. But with that, we're out. And we're going to see y'all on Wednesday.